Grab a Bible if you do not have one. If you do not own a Bible, you can actually keep those Bibles as a gift from Jacob's Well. We think every household should have a Bible in it. It's a good book to have. Today we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verse 15 through 22. And if you're in the Red Bible, it's page 973. You may have heard of the Stella Awards. The Stella Awards were named after a woman named Stella <laughs> in, uh, in New Mexico who was 81 years old. She went through a drive through at McDonald's and spilled hot coffee on herself and sued and won. They su- she sued McDonald's for $2.86 million. Now, every year there is a Stella Award, and I just want to give you a few of them. There's a woman named Karen Walton of Claymont, Delaware, and she successfully sued a bar after falling in a bathroom and knocking out her two front teeth. Now, the amazing part of that is she was actually crawling through the window trying to avoid the $3.50 cover charge. And so she sued the bar and won $12,000 in dental expenses. All right. Kathleen Robertson of Austin, Texas, won an award of $780,000 after she sued a a furniture store where she was walking around and tripped over a kid that was running aimlessly. The amazing thing is that it was her own child. And she sues the furniture store for $780,000. And this one, in my opinion, takes the cake. In November of 2000, Mr. Grzynski purchased a brand-new 32-foot Winnebago motorhome. As he gets onto the highway for the very first time, he sets it on cruise control, calmly gets up, goes into the back to make a cup of coffee. The Winnebago goes off the road, crashes. This man sues Winnebago for not putting that in the instruction manual. He wins $1.75 million and a new Winnebago. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? The Stella Awards. Now, I mention that because the law was never intended to be that foolish. Uh, But many people take it and they manipulate it and they misuse it for their own benefits. And what we're going to look at today is how the law is misused at the Church of Galatia for their own benefits, but really it is opposing the gospel. What we're going to look at is God's law. The law that God had given to Moses. Just to give you a quick definition of the law so that we're all on the same page. is The law is the rules that God had given in the Old Testament. And the first five books of the Old Testament has uh, many names. But one of the names for the first five books of the Old Testament is the books of the law. And so what's in there are all these rules that God has given. Okay, Not because he hates them, but because he loves his people. And so what we see is that today we often misuse that law. And we do that in two ways. One, we either uh, either misuse the law by ignoring it. Uh, We don't talk about it. We don't think about it. We don't read it. We don't think it's important. Churches don't preach it. And so we either ignore it or we worship it. We think the law is the way that we can make God happy with us. If we follow all these rules, God will be pleased with me. And the irony is that whether you ignore it or whether you worship it, the law, you minimize it. Because either you say it's not important or you say, I can attain it. And both of those are false. 
And so today we're going to look at the book of Galatians, continue in that, because what happened was that some false teachers, some religious men infiltrated the church and they said, faith in Jesus is very important, but you also need to obey the law. And then God will be pleased with you. And Paul writes against this in the book of Galatians. And then we come to this passage and he talks about the right use of the law and the wrong use of the law. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you would, read along with me Galatians 3, verse 15 through 22. Whoops, helps if I'm on the right page, doesn't it? All right. Galatians 3, 15 through 22. To give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void for if the inheritance comes by the law it is no longer it no longer comes by promise but God gave it to Abraham by a promise why then the law it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been given and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We come to you today praising you that you have given a promise, Lord. And it is quite confusing at times. How does the law work in with faith? How does your rules, your commands match your grace and your mercy and your love? I pray that today we would all together understand what the law is not for, what you have not given it for, what are not the purposes of it, but that we would also learn the beauty of the reasons you did give it. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. And so today we're going to look at the right and the wrong uses of God's law. Let's start by looking at the wrong uses of God's law. Now, God's law, again, just it's summarized in the Ten Commandments. And so if you can wrap your head around that, that will give you a good picture of what the law of God is. And we see that, first off, one wrong use of God's law is to modify God's promise. All right, look with me in verse 15. It says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were not made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So Paul starts out with this human example. And what he says is that, you know, you look at human beings, when they make a covenant, when they make a promise, it isn't broken. 
Uh, if humans can keep it, certainly God can. Now, you might be thinking that's a horrible example because <laughs> humans break their promises all the time. They always renegotiate contracts, right? When the Packers make a contract with a player, uh, usually it changes quite a bit throughout the lifetime of their career. But what he's looking at here is not so much one of those contracts, but a will. Um, the Greek law actually said that a will, once executed and ratified, could not be revoked or even modified. And so don't think of a business contract. Think of your will, okay? And so if you had created a will and you wrote it out and you signed it and it was ratified and it was confirmed and you passed away, imagine what it would be like if people had the freedom to change it, if they had the freedom to add to it, to say, well, I know what Dan really wanted. He really wanted to give me his car, right? which they probably don't want anyways, but he would give me his car. Or they would take things away and say, you know, he doesn't want to leave everything to Trish. He wants to leave some of it to me. And so uh, what happens here is, is Paul saying, if a will cannot be ratified, if it cannot be changed because of this covenant, because of promises, how much more will God keep his promises to you? And he talks about how, the, the promises of the covenant were ratified with Abraham and that four, over four centuries later, which even longer than that, the law was given, but it couldn't, be modifi- it couldn't modify God's promises. That wasn't the purpose of the giving of the law. It wasn't to modify the promise that he had given to Abraham. And the promise that he gave to Abraham was this. The one that, that Paul is talking about is in Genesis twenty two eighteen. God says to Abraham... In your offspring shall all the nations be blessed. In your offspring shall all the nations be blessed. And Paul is saying this offspring is not many. The offspring is one. And that offspring is Jesus Christ. And the blessing that God promised to Abraham through his offspring came through Jesus Christ. And that blessing that he gives is salvation to all who would trust in him. Galatians goes more in depth. If you remember, it talks about specifically justification, that you're declared righteous before God and you're acceptable as if you had never sinned. And God gives you the Holy Spirit that you might live according to that spirit. And so that is the promise that God gives to Abraham and it comes through Christ. And in Galatia, religious leaders, Paul says, were voiding this promise. They're avoiding the promise of God, not by taking it away, not by saying that faith in Jesus is no longer important, no longer, not by denying that God promised something to Abraham, but they voided the promises of God by adding to it, by adding extra rules, extra regulations, saying the promise from God is not enough. You also have to be circumcised. You also have to follow these ceremonial laws. You also have to be a good person. And Paul opposes that drastically. He said, and what we learn here is that God does not make promises that he's going to break ever. God keeps his promises always. And so one wrong use of God's law is to modify God's promise to say, yeah, the promise is good, but we need to add these things to his promise in order for you to really attain it, for you to really acquire it. Second wrong use that Paul talks about here is to fulfill God's promise. Verse 18 says this, for if in the inheritance, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it is, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This word gave in the Greek 
is epigeletai, and it is a perfect verb. And you might hear me say this a lot. Perfect verbs in the Greek are extremely important because what they tell us is that it's a completed, finished action. That, the, that That's not added to, that's not taken away from. That it's a perfect thing that has been done. That it is completely completed. And so what Paul is saying here is that the promise that God gave to Abraham was finished. Nothing had to be added to it. And so obedience to the law could not affect the inheritance, the promise that God gave to Abraham and to his offspring. Verse 21, it goes on. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. There is no greater law than the law of God. There are no greater commands than the ones that God has given to, through Moses and through his prophets. And there is no law that is more loving, more caring, more nourishing, more righteous, more holy, more perfect. There's no other law that good. And yet this law could not save. This law could not bring the promises. This law could not bring the inheritance that God had promised. And so he's saying that this law that God has given to us was not given for the purpose of giving us life. That comes by a promise, not by fulfilling the law, not by being a good person. The inheritance must be dispensed by grace, by a covenant of grace, because the law was never intended to bring life. When I was in college, I, uh, I was in this science lab and i remember me and my partner were there and we had to use the bunsen burners and so we took it and we hooked it up to the gas outlet and we turned it on and and we tried to light it and it and it wouldn't work and so we called to our ta and we said you know our bunsen burner isn't working would you come help us and so he takes it he tries it and then he pulls the tube out and he blows and he looks in it he kind of jiggles it he sticks it back on and he turns on what he thinks is the gas but he actually hooked it up to the water spigot. (laughs) And so the water starts shooting out of this Bunsen burner all over the place. And he reaches in and he turns it off and he says, "Um, just clean this up and leave. You get an A. And thought, great, this is probably the first A I'll get in college. Probably the last too. And so we cleaned it up and we left. But what you see here is that the Bunsen burner was not intended for water. I think we've all tried to uh, use things in ways they're not intended for. And oftentimes it goes very wrong, doesn't it? The law was never intended, it was never used, it was never created, excuse me, with the intent of saving a person, of giving life. Today, many people misuse the law of God. They try to fulfill God's promise through it. Let me give you an example. There are people who constantly beat them up, beat themselves up saying, I can't go to God right now. I'm too dirty. I'm too sinful. I'm too unclean. I really need to clean up my life before I go to God. I need to take care of my alcohol problem or my my lust problem or my anger problem. I need to take care of my shopping problem, my greed problem, whatever it might be. I need to take care of these problems and then I can go to church. Then I can go to God and then he will accept me and love me. But what God says here is that you're trying to supplement his law. You're trying to fulfill his law. You're trying to modify his, excuse me, his promise. But his promise doesn't come through you being a better person. The promise comes by his faithfulness and his love and his caring. Because just like a human will would not be modified, God's promises to you 
will never be modified for all who accept it by Christ. God is not like a boyfriend who's waiting for you to quit smoking before he'll hang out with you. He wants you just as you are. And what this means is that no matter how horrible, how ugly, how devastating your life is right now, you can go to God. Because it's not based on your goodness. It's based on his promise. And so maybe you're in a stage of life where you just feel, I am so unworthy to go to God. You're right. You are. But he has promised to love you through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can go to him right now. And so the wrongful uses of the law, the, the, the misuses of the law, is to either modify God's promise or to try to fulfill God's promise. But the right uses of God's law are so wonderful and beautiful and amazing. And that's why you see the psalmist and Paul talking about how perfect and wonderful the law is. And so what we see throughout history, there's sort of come about the three uses of the law. And I'm just going to run through the first two. The third one is the one we're really going to focus on today. But the uses of the law, one use is as a curb. It's the civil use. It's to restrain evil and promote civil harmony and order. And so basically it's to keep anarchy from destroying the earth. And so uh, if you turn to Romans 13, it would talk about how the Lord gives the sword to the government, that you are to be obedient to them. Why? So that we don't have survival of the fittest going on, right? (laughs) And so the law is used to create harmony so that the gospel proclamation might go forth. Second use of the law is as a guide. It's the didactic use, and it's to inform Christians how they are to live in light of the gospel. And so when we uh, receive Jesus Christ, when we trust in him, he says, let me show you what you were created for. Let me show you how you were created to live. Let me show you the best life for you. And so he lays it out in the law. And he says, this is how you're to live. And I'm not telling you this because I hate you. It's because I love you. It's just like when I tell my kids, you're not allowed in the street. It's not because I hate them. It's because I love them. And he gives that to us by his grace. The final use of the law is as a mirror or the pedagogical use. And we're going to cover this in two parts. First, it shows us our sin. Verse 19 puts it this way. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. And so Paul starts with this question that many people have. Uh, Paul says, you know, you're not saved by the law. You're not saved by being a good person. You're not saved by doing good things. And so people's response is, well, why the law? Why, why did God make a law if that's true? And if it is true, why would we even follow the law? Why would he even try to be obedient to God? And what Paul says here is that the law makes the sinfulness of our sin obvious. That's what the law is doing. That it makes us legally guilty and condemns us as guilty before God. That the function of the law was not to give you salvation, but to show you your need of salvation. Paul traces through this in the book of Romans. And so we're going to look at the verses from there. Romans 3.20 reiterates this. It says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 4.15 says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgressions. Romans 7.7 says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Romans 7.13 
Did the law, which is good, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. When I was working uh, in, uh, in Bloomer, Wisconsin, I put together sunrooms, is what I did. And sunrooms have lots of windows, as you can imagine. And when we were done building a sunroom, our last project was to clean all the windows. And so we would spray them down, we'd wash them on the inside, we'd spray them down, wash them on the outside. Now, sometimes this would happen on a pretty cloudy day. And we would actually come back the next day because we had one or two more things to to touch up before the room was ready. And we would come back on a sunny day. And so many times it was so discouraging and so sad because the sun would be shining in and all the windows would be completely dirty. Because the sun would reveal all the watermarks, all the dirt, all the stains that we missed. This is what God's law does. It reveals to you the spots in your life. It reveals to you the sin in your life. How utterly sinful you are so that it might point you to a Savior. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen this in your kitchen or, or been a place where, you know, you wipe down the counter or you wipe down the table and then the sun breaks out and it comes in and you see all this stain that's left on there. This is what the law does. The law shows you how sinful you are because the law is perfect and holy and we are not. The law demands perfect love for God and our neighbor. The law shows clearly how very little love we have in our heart. It shows us how holy God is, how unholy we are. It shows us God's punishment for us is right and true and just. And it shows our inability to be righteous, to save ourselves by our good works. And so the the law has a very important purpose. It's a mirror to show you how sinful you are and point you to a savior. Finally, the, the next use of the law, which is kind of in tandem with the one that we just studied, is not only a mirror to show us our sin, but also to point us to the Savior, to point us to Christ. Verse 19 again, he says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. And then he continues, Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been given. This verse shows that the law was there to reveal our sin, but it was also there to point us to Jesus, to point us to Christ, that we would know that when we take the law seriously, we don't measure up to God. We don't measure up to his word. Verse 22, it goes on. But the scripture imprisoned, which is concluded, everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so Paul is saying that through the scriptures and the law, everything and everyone is condemned. Everyone is found guilty by the law of God because it is perfect and righteous, and holy. I confess to you today that I've broken all the Ten Commandments, possibly even within the past week, because Jesus even says, if you've even hated someone in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And so this wonderful Redeemer that God sends does something that the law could never do. It sets the prisoner free. It makes the guilty innocent. Jesus sets the prisoner free by paying the penalty for our utter failure to keep the law. He sets us free by dying on the cross, by taking the penalty for the law that we deserved. We deserved death. We deserved hell. Jesus took it on himself for all who have faith in him. Some Christians think that the law is no longer useful today 
And Jesus would just flat out disagree. (laughs) He often went back to the law to show the religious people how sinful they are. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, which I already sort of mentioned, but Jesus says, if you even lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. He, 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 in, in Mark chapter 7, he, he looks at the Pharisees and he says, you know, you say that you love your parents and you want to take care of them, but you're spending all your time at church and you're not honoring your father and mother. And Jesus goes through the Ten Commandments showing how utterly sinful we are. The law is so important to continue to proclaim and teach and encourage towards people, not because it saves them, but because it points them to a Savior. He's con- the law is constantly pointing out our failures and pointing us to Christ. The law removes all of our respectability and lays us bare. The, the law removes anything that we would say, look at me, God, look how good I am, look how wonderful I am. And it would say, no, you're not. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. Run to him. Go to him. The law is a mirror that shows us our sin. And not until the law has driven us to despair over ourselves, driven us to despair over our sin and the condemnation of God, will the cross ever shine brightly in our hearts. That is when we know the Savior. That's when we know we need the Savior. At a young life camp, they go through the same sort of four-day talk schedule. And one of the nights, what they do is they tell you that you're a sinner. They tell you, that you are not good enough for God. That in all your good works, they're like filthy rags to God. And then they let you think about it for a night. And then the next night, they bring you back and they tell you the good news of Jesus Christ, that your condemnation is washed away at the cross. And this is what struck me at camp. This is why I trusted in Jesus Christ, was because the law was presented to me in a way that let me know that I have no other hope than Christ. And I trusted in him that night. And so the law is extremely useful. The law um, does many things. One thing it does is it shows us our sin, but it also points us to a savior. In the past two months, my brother-in-law, Todd, well, he, he had known later earlier, but he had some nodules in his neck and he finally decided I'm going to go get them checked out because they started to get worse. And so he went into the hospital and the doctor said to him, here's what we're going to do. We're going to remove that nodule because it's probably cancerous. And we're also going to remove half your thyroid. And when we remove half your thyroid, we're going to check it under a microscope and see if it has cancer. And so they took the thyroid, uh, half the thyroid and the nodule out, and they put a sample from that thyroid under the microscope, and they studied it and looked at it, and it indeed was cancerous. And so they went back, and they removed the rest of the thyroid. And praise God, Todd is now cancer-free because they had removed it all. A lot of points of application to this. When they took half the thyroid out and they tested it by the microscope, the microscope merely showed what was already there. It showed this, the, the uh, I was going to say sin, it shows the, the disease there. God's law shows us our sin. It doesn't produce sin, but it shows us our son, sin. Sometimes it encourages us to sin just because of the rebellion in our hearts, but it shows it to us. Secondly, when we examine, when they examine this thyroid with the microscope, they didn't say, well, you know what, we're just going to look at it through the microscope until it's cured. That would be ridiculous because that's not the use of the microscope. The law is not used to save you. It's used to point you to a savior. And finally, the microscope did indeed point to a solution. 
it pointed to going back and removing the rest of that thyroid. And so we have been examined by the law of God, and we have been deemed guilty, cancerous. And God says, but there's a solution, and I will send it through my son, Jesus Christ, who will pay for your sin at the cross. Martin Luther puts it this way, and I love this quote. He says, the principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. That is to say, it shows them their sin, that by the knowledge they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace, and so to come to that blessed seed who is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the law. It is so good, God. It is so good because it shows us our sin. It shows us our need of a Savior, Lord. And yet also, God, I pray for freedom from the law, that you would free us from people who would seek the law to merit your love, to merit righteousness, God. We know that that's not what it was intended for. It came over 400 years after the promise of your blessing, God. Pray that we would be free to obey it, not not as slaves, but as children who knows of a good God, a good Father that gives us good rules because he loves us, Lord God. Free us to do that, Lord God. Lord, the law of God, your law says we have to obey, but your promise says we have to believe. And we do that by faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there's anyone here who does not trust in Jesus Christ, that they would be convicted of their sin. And that they would surrender to you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.